I recently heard the screenwriting trope, villains act, heroes react. While there are counterexamples, it does seem like the good guys are more likely to protect the status quo rather than try to change the world. Would you like to know more? Hello, Simone. It's wonderful to be joining you today for my super villain lair. We're talking about villainy more generally today, but I like to be super. You are always super in my heart. By the way, people may be wondering why I don't have my ring today. I lose it all the time. And in today's one of those instances, she jokes I'm like Sonic the Hedgehog. I I bump into something and rings go flying everywhere. (laughs) I think I have one tied to the cart. Key, you do. So. I haven't taken that one because it's hard to get off the car thing, but I'll, I'll that's use it exactly why it's there. We're going to Perfect. meet with some like senator types. And so that's why we always have backups all over the place. Well, I got to look like a traditional conservative male if they're going to fund our campaign. So we got to look <laughs> normal. But you know, actually, <laughs> Simone's the one who we're hoping to run. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting. But we'll see if people vote for villains, which I honestly think is how we're often framed in the media. But we read a great tweet recently about heroes and villains from a friend of ours that I thought was just brilliant. So she she noted, I recently heard the screenwriting trope, villains act, heroes react for the first time, and it destroyed me. While there are counterexamples, it does seem like the good guys are more likely to protect the status quo rather than try to change the world. And that is so true. And I find it really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think it is really interesting. And I, um, the series that both of us were immediately thinking of when this came up was the Kingsman series. Mm-hmm. Because the Kingsman is always about somebody has some like vision for the future, often how they can make the world a better place. And then there's this secret society for like, wealthy or at least culturally wealthy, if not individually wealthy, but but it seems like the vast majority of the members do come from wealthy families. British like elitists who are maintaining the status quo. Yeah. It's like about a secret society completely dedicated to maintaining the status quo of the world. But in the second movie, one of the things we thought was really funny is so, so one of the villains, basically they're lacing, spoiler by the way, drugs with something that kills people to remove the the dangers of drug addicts. Where one of the, the other villains like doesn't care and they're like, yeah, we'll let it happen because it removes the drug addicts from society and we'll make the world a better place. And it's like, that's yeah, brutal, but like an interesting theory at least. But what I loved, and Simone pointed this out to me, is how do they demonstrate that they're actually the bad guys and you definitely shouldn't be on their side? They they started doctoring festival drugs, which is just a step too far. They started to potentially hurt upper middle class people. And the, no, the real scene when you're supposed to realize, oh, these guys are really the bad guys, it w- is when it turned out the like well-paid office worker was using like Adderall or something as like a performance booster. And you're I like, thought oh. it was when like a, lo- a bunch of basically Instagram influencers were using the like laced lace drug and like talking about it and then talking about the side effects and that's how it showed up in society that this was a widespread issue that many people were being affected well no Um. but i'm thinking about how they coded for the audience Mm. because it was clear that they were afraid that a little too much of the audience would agree with this person so they need Uh. to show it affecting upper middle class people as well because that's the way most people identify Regardless of their actual economic circumstances, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, there was a study done on this. It's like something like 95% of Americans identify as middle class. Yes. Yeah, actually, I was just reading a 1982 Miss Manners book while we were on a call like earlier today. And she, Emily Post joked that there are three classes in America, lower middle class, middle class, and upper middle class. And there's like literally nothing else. Yeah, the versions. I, I love that you say that. That is, that is so 
true because that's how everyone identifies. Totally. But because nobody wants to identify as upper class in our society. Except okay, for us because it. we're scare quotes elite. Yeah, right. we're scare quotes. We yeah. will take on the, up we will be the only <laughs> upper class family in all of America. That is what we're going to do. We will just take that segment in society just for us, just for Malcolm and Simone. And noblesse oblige, you could say. Noblesse oblige. Yeah, I, I remember I got a, a long thing about basically noblesse oblige when I got into Stanford Business School, but it was from, from a family member. They like sent me this, but they, they, they said, with great power comes great responsibility. Of course, I'm thinking Spider-Man, right? I'm like, oh, this is a Spider-Man quote. And what I love is that Spider-Man, and I really know that's just like noblesse oblige summarized. Spider-Man, is Spider-Man based on Noblesse and Leash? I think that's antithetical to his character, but that is what I associate that quote with, Mo. So, oh God, uh, yeah, no, know. this this is so indicative of our generation. I was also just watching a YouTuber who was like, oh, it's like they say in the office, dress for the job you want. Um, and I'm like, that that didn't, that didn't come from the office, lady. But no, this is, yeah, of course, as Spider-Man's uncle says, as, as, yeah, uh, as the Spider-Man's uncle says. is famously quoted in the show, The Office. <laughs> oh, man. No. oh my gosh. Wait, wasn't there a joke like That's that? That's so middle class. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, I you're good. But no, I want to talk about this larger concept because I think it, it leads to a lot of problems in our society mm. where any organization that is trying to change things from the status quo or any individual individual that's trying to change things from the status quo is seen as villainous. Oh yeah. And it's actually really interesting. I, I think that the people who fight for the status quo in many ways want to see themselves as like the big heroes. I think that's what like Megan and Harry have been doing. They're, they're, they're the true warriors of the, of the status quo. And, and, and that's how they show that they're good people because they look, they say, what does society say makes you a good person? And then I'm going to do and care about those things that mm -hmm. society say make you a good person. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in reality, when people see individuals, especially individuals in positions of enormous privilege, just going along with what society tells them to, it also makes them, at least a large portion of the population, disgusted with them, but they don't see them as villains. What's interesting yeah. is they're often not displayed as villains, they're displayed as like slimy, they're displayed as 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 pathetic and 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 like money grubbing, but not villains. But mm -hmm. Elon Musk, Elon Musk clearly has like a vision of how he sees the world could be better and is trying to move towards that vision, even if he does get distracted at times, because his vision is quite expansive and not a lot of other people are working he on it. He does a lot of stuff. But <laughs> but I mean, say. what a super villain character to the extent that if you look at I think a lot of content now they are actually framing the villains around archetypes of Elon Musk. Is, is you, hmm. you see this in a lot of shows now, Elon Musk-based villains. I've like noticed yeah, this. but I mean, character. Iron Man was also like broadly inspired by his archetype as well. Although I guess you could argue Oh, is he that... trying to change the world in I don't know. I, I watch Iron Man and he's trying he to an have there be less, not like end wars, just have like weapons in wars be less efficient. I thought that he was, is his, wasn't he a weapons dealer? I thought he was. Yeah, and he was a weapons dealer before that. So he's only like trying. I don't see him as being somebody. He doesn't fit the villain trope. But the villain mm -hmm. trope is somebody who's fighting against the status quo to try to make things potentially better. Because to make things better, that's the thing about the status quo, right? You can be at a local optimum, but to really make things better, you have to move things past the status quo. You have to move things to the next potential 
stage. And what's really interesting is if you look at our message and all of our perinatalist advocacy, you could say, well, a lot of people, one of the problems with trying to move things past the status quo is it removes individual agency to an extent which is what you see a lot of climate activists doing. So I can guess I can see how those people can be framed as villainous. But when you look at pronatalist advocacy, it's all based around individual, like, like the major organization, which is ours. Like the core mission we have is to ensure maximum reproductive freedom at the level of individual families and maximum cultural freedom at the level of individual families. So even when we're fighting for more individual autonomy, Insofar as that autonomy removes the autonomy of the system, like trying to create new school systems and stuff for, for high school instead of these government ones, which we see as erasing people's cultures, we get framed as, as supervillains because we're trying to change the world. Well, I think there are two, there are two broad things in place. One is on an on a, mm, individual level. Humans are afraid of change. Humans really don't like change. Different is bad having to try something new is bad and scary. So that's, that's one side of it. So anyone who's trying to push something new on you, even if like, let's say they're trying to get you to try a new food and it looks gross mm. and it ends up tasting really good, but you're still like hating them for making you try it, right? That That's something that that is ultimately villainous because it's different. We don't like different. The other thing is uh, societies at large are very optimized around driving and enforcing conformity. So anything that fails to conform, anything that is different or new, even if it's better, is going to be villainized because of course, I think in the past and, and like from an evolutionary standpoint, that which is extremely different is more likely to probably do something that is going to cause risk, harm, infection, also vulnerability. Well, you also just the cultural evolution standpoint, mm. which is mm -hmm. to say the cultures that have survived are the ones that are the best at stamping out ideas and world perspectives that clash with their own. Because they, they represent an intrinsic threat to the existing world order, right? Mm. That's why you burn witches, right? You, because they represent a cultural mutation. And, and that's what we are seeing the dominant culture do today. So you are right. It definitely has that element to it. To the first point you made, though, that different is scary. I think even the idea, even making people aware that things will change, that society will change, that the world will change, is threatening and to an extent can make you a villain just airing that. So mm. one of the points that we make is if you look at humanity, what it means to be human will change. Mm. Whether it's through genetic technology or AI or human integration with electronics and stuff. And so a lot of cultural groups are like, well, that is bad. Like humans should stay exactly what humans are today because if we deviate from that, then we're something else and that is bad or monstrous or whatever right but the problem is is then you really only have two potential futures either we do differentiate and we will differentiate in the future i think it's inevitable mm -hmm. because even if one country or one region or one culture effectively prevents this type of experimentation and change any region that does will just so significantly outcompete the ones that don't those cultural groups will become economically irrelevant due to the advantages the cultural groups that engage in genetic and technological change will have. Yeah. But then the cultural groups that are against that stuff, they will need to be very dictatorial in how they impose that stuff. Mm. So whenever I see a show like what we were watching, or Orville or something like yesterday, and, and that the characters in it, like the human characters, that they think far in the future, thousands of years in the future, that humans would look still broadly like we think humans look today, that's just absurd. Like that could only happen if basically a fascist one world government takes power that 
systematically prevents any sort of human technological integration and any sort of genetic selection or genetic advancement. But even if you had that, it really wouldn't work. And the reason why it really, you'd also then need to kill a lot of babies. So the reason you need to kill a lot of babies in that scenario is uh, only a few generations ago, it was true that about 50% of human infants died it, it, when they were babies, right? Young deaths was really common. But this had a big impact on our genes. It, it took a lot of potentially negative things out of our genes. Now that most babies survive, what it means is the things that were being selected against, cancers and the like, are going to begin to build up in the human genome at a really fast rate. So if you go three or four generations down the line, we are going to be, and, and, you, and nothing happens, we're going to be walking balls of cancer. Of course, there's three solutions to this. One is to genetically CRISPR out the, the, the parts of the gene that are causing these problems. Another is to pre-select embryos that aren't pro to these problems. So you're still having the babies die, basically, but the babies are dying at the embryo stage instead of <laughs> at the stage of a human child. Or you kill the children who are prone to this. You test them, which, which seems like the obviously immoral answer. But I don't know. I guess you could say that you could use some technology to edit the genes of adults, like use maybe a virus as like a vector, but that's really hard to do. Whenever you're talking about like editing a person's genes for like cancer or something like that, the problem is, is our, our, our bodies are made up of billions, I want to say of cells, billions of cells. And you need to, you need to edit the DNA of every one of those cells. That's really hard to do. And, and then, I don't know, that, that to me also doesn't seem like a, good answer with any sort of near future technology. Yeah, not near future. Not near future technologies, but there might be other solutions to it. The broad point here being is that the only way that we end up with a future where humans five, 10,000 years from now look broadly like humans do today is if you have a fascist state that is essentially preventing human genetics or human genetic toying or human integration with technology. But the mm -hmm. other thing that always shocks me is when these shows think they're being like progressive by showing different ethnic groups, the only way that 10,000 years from now we would still have black people and white people is largely if racism survives in like a big way. Oh, like if, yeah, if groups still like stay isolated and don't well, You intermix. would need to have some sort of genetic isolation of the different ethnic groups for those groups to stay looking anything like we think of today as black people, white people, Asian people. Yeah. So again, like when I see a show, which is so interesting, you see a show like Star Trek and they're trying to portray it as all really good. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, so this is like a super racist society was a fascist dictatorial government, which I, I suppose is why I see like Star Starship Troopers is such a brighter future mm. uh, because at least it's an honest future. At least they admit it's a it's a dictatorial fascist government that, that does honestly seem to be trying its best for people. Honesty, um, for sure. <laughs> but but it is it is interesting that when you point out these basic things that I that, that, that humans will change, that things will change, that the world will change, people freak out. It reminds me of these environmentalists who go out there and there's almost this form of morality which I've always found really disgusting myself because it's so short-sighted mm. where when you're talking to environmental groups there's sometimes two groups of thought which is okay we want to reintroduce like these old coyotes that went extinct a while ago but okay but now you're interrupting the new ecosystem right because things have evolved to fill that cultural niche the animals have since evolved to deal with sort of the new environment that they're dealing with 
but they believe that the state, and, and you see this in, in this, let's keep humans exactly the way they are now. Like keep humans exactly how they were when we first built our first cities. And they're like, and let's also keep the environment like exactly, well, not even our first cities because they don't want to bring like mammoths back and stuff like that. They want to um, keep the world exactly. No, isn't there a company right now that's bringing back mammoths? Right, right. I'm talking about this type of environmentalist. Ah, uh, yes, right. Uh, they want the world to be exactly where it was like 1900. Like that environment, those species need to stay static forever. No further evolution. Humans need to stay static like that forever. So... In a way, humans are becoming this sort of perverse actor on the environment where we are now preventing further evolution of species, preventing extinction of species, preventing them from uh, having to come to terms with uh, rapid environmental shifts or something like that. Something mm -hmm. that has happened multiple times throughout the history of the world, right? But, but no, not this time. We got to end it this time. And they go, oh, it's because a species is causing it. Except that's happened before. There was a, the, it's happened a couple times before. There was a time when the first bacteria started producing oxygen, and that was what called the Great Oxidation event. I, I, I think I want to say, and they gave, like basically that. made themselves and almost everything like them extinct because they were producing oxygen as a waste product, and oxygen in, in, in oxidation is very caustic to any sort of cell or biology that hasn't evolved specifically to deal with oxygenated environments. So they, it caused its own mass extinction. So it's like not the first time we've seen this either. Yeah. Also discussed in the Twitter thread was an observation that often the villains are either like nouveau riche or not aristocratic and that the heroes are aristocratic, which definitely shows up in Kingsman. I think in both Kingsman movies, the first two, it was like tech elites more that were well, the villains. I think inheriting your powers, right, is a mm, really uh, common trope of heroes. Mm. And achieving powers on your own is a very common trope of villains. Interesting. Even yeah. when heroes didn't inherit their powers, like Batman, he inherited his money. Go, come on, Batman's, no. Batman doesn't have, Bruce Wayne's power is he's rich. No, and he was autistic. born rich. His power isn't that he's like, that he was born rich. That's yeah. his power. That's and his the power. People he's fighting are like these self-made, <laughs> like you got Poison Ivy, who's basically an environmentalist. Yeah. I do agree environmentalists are largely evil, but she's trying <laughs> to engage action in the world. You got the Joker, d d definitely a, a self-made man. You got people like the Penguin, who in, in most iterations, has the affectations or was born into a wealthy family, but lost but it like all orphan, and had right? to rebuild himself. Yeah. But of course that makes him truly villainous. Similar to me, my, my own backstory going oh, through. Do you, do uh, you share you know, penguins? Backstory? It, it, court appointed prison alternatives and stuff <laughs> like that. And then, yeah, I have, I have a backstory similar to the, the, the penguin from the Tim Burton's Batman return. So, oh, so you're not, you're not so much well, Batman as you are penguin. <laughs> I guess yeah. look at how you're dressed, I, unless you're like off. Yeah, I'm this going way. for it. I got the Cufflepot. I got the Cufflepot virtue here. No, but it is interesting because I think that society fundamentally believes, like in the back of our cultural brains, what feels nice is is actually classism. The, the elite, yeah, that you want the 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 king to save the day, right? Well, I, well, you want the rich, the people who deserve, like the the inherited rich, this long aristocratic, mm. the people who inherited their powers, the people who, that they are there to maintain social order. And Those high in the great chain of being. Is, because historically, that's what the story's told. What's a knight? 
but often somebody yeah. who was born to a noble family and yeah. then was appointed to maintain the status quo. And yeah. those are the stories that culturally our visions of heroes came from. And who's the villain? Well, it's the person with the other religion, typically like the witch from the woods, like your Morgana or something. I don't know if she came from a long line or something, but I typically think of the, the villains of the, the night stories as being some witch, someone culturally deviant often didn't come from a position of power, but, but they came through power perversely because they earned it themselves. They, they went out and studied, they found it in, in books and, and, and working. Oh, because uh, isn't that also in, it, in itself a villainous act if it's a subversion of the social order? It is, you're right. Subverting the social order is a villainous act. Mm -hmm. And so I think in many ways, we are the archetypical villains of society. <laughs> and as such, uh... people are right to hate us. Because mm. that is the role of the villain. We believe we're trying to make the world a better place, but isn't that true of all? That's of yeah, people? it's exactly what. Well, I don't know. There are some villains like Bond villains and stuff who are just out to make money. But I think that's the other thing is is we're also we're often villainized for being capitalist, and people see I think capitalists is like a whole different sort of villain. I don't know if that's just because like socialism is a very pervasive kind of sentiment now that like a lot of villains are just easily just capitalist it's easy to hate people for it no i think it's that socialist so when people believe in capitalism i think it's typically because they've thought through it when people <laughs> believe in socialism or communism i think it's much more like a religion hmm. and like a religion when we talk about evolved systems that shut down any idea that's a threat to it mm -hmm. they re react as if they're reacting to a, a religious threat so one of the things we talk hmm. about in our book is the concept of cones if people are aware in Buddhism, there's this thing where they'll be like, oh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one hears it, like what, it doesn't really make a sound, right? This is a cone, but many religions, Kabbalism has things like this. What these really are is gaslighting. It's a form of gaslighting that's used to enforce a master's authority over the pupil and to get people to doubt their own beliefs about reality. So what they're doing is you go, oh, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Well, I know either it's no sound, like this is a definitional thing. And they're like, oh no, you don't understand the question. If you, if you come to me with that answer, which what they're really doing is just saying, I have authority over you. Basically, no matter how you answer, I always have a greater access to truth than you. And this causes people to distrust their own logic and it helps. It's a, it's a good system for establishing authority. But what's really interesting is that you see this within the communist worldview often is, is when you describe to someone why communism is stupid is, oh, you don't really understand communism. If that's why you say communism is stupid. Wow, I did not expect you to connect like Buddhist cones with communist gatekeeping but it works but you see this constantly whenever you explain why communism is stupid they go well that's not either that's not true communism or that shows that you think that that's why communism doesn't work that you of don't course. understand yeah you just don't understand and then they start using like oh well you haven't read this or you don't follow this person's well then you're like actually i have or i have engaged yeah. this, or i have gone over this I, I i do have a one of our books it was a top the top selling nonfiction book in the US by Wall Street Journal is on governing structures, right? Like we are something of, I wouldn't say full world experts on governance, but we're definitely in the top percent. And communism is stupid. Like you have to be actually kind of dumb to think it's still a good idea. And we've done other videos on this. But the point being is it's, it, the people who believe it now, they believe it for more religious reasons. So when they're attacking us, they're more reflexively trying to determine if we're part of their social group or not. And when they determine we're not part of our, their social group, they then just reflexively are like, I hate you because you're not a part of my social group. And that's what they're saying when they're saying, I hate you because you're capitalist. Whereas 
when capitalists are people with more nuance, we're not like pure capitalists either. I think the government definitely has a role in the economy. When, when people with a more nuanced understanding of, of economics attack us, they're attacking us often for issues that are more germane to the actual reasons that they specifically don't like us. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't know, that we're not using all of our embryos or something. That and we have punchable faces, but yeah, yeah. But, but that's a good reason to attack us. Super villain needs a punchable face, and I think mm. I a punchable face just means you need to punch the face. I, I don't know what do to I tell need you. To, I'll do this for like the picture. <laughs> That'll be the uh, nice. YouTube picture for this one, right? Very good, very good. Well, can you do a super villain face? What's your super villain face? Um. <laughs> just dr evil it's a universal sign language for evil hello i, I don't know what to tell you i think we are universal sign language for evil and i Aww. like being a super villain i like being a super villain i i as a kid i always identified with the villains over the heroes i always <laughs> i never saw the heroes and i was like i want to be like that i was like because the villains i could be like them i could make my own suit i could build my own science powers I could maybe one day make my own money. And, they're self-made. Yeah, they're they're self-made. They're, they're very self yeah. yeah. And so I always identified with that because I was like, that is my path. Respect. And, and so one day people will fear me. And <laughs> <laughs> well, I love being in an evil duo with you. You are my OTP of evil. I Absolutely. love you so much. And one thing we've mentioned before is in movies, another thing about villains only ones who have healthy relationships whether it's team rocket or the adams family or you go through media vast majority of healthy relationships are villains because in our society's mind i think when you're talking about these progressive hollywood writers to them they cannot imagine anyone who's like them ever having a happy relationship mm. so it becomes villainous and socially transgressive to them to have a genuinely happy relationship well, it's the creative types. They are not, they are not prone. They often really buy into this urban megaculture, which makes it really hard to form healthy relationships. So yes, I think we have a healthy relationship and that healthy relationship is in itself socially transgressive. It's well, monstrous, evil, villainous. It's beautiful and I love it. And I don't care if this is what evil feels like. I want to be evil because it's so good. I love you. You're sweetheart. I love you too.